Philip, you reckon that uh, the writer of that song may have been reading through Philippians. As uh, he got to verse 6, he just camped out there for a minute, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will finish it. He will perform it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our Lord is faithful and true. What he said, he will do. Now I want you to just chew on that. Just, you know, slide that over in your crawl for a minute as we look at Acts 21. Acts 21. I can remember as a young man, especially when I started into construction, all of the superintendents that I worked for, I started off as a laborer, swinging a sledgehammer and toting lumber and all those kinds of things. And we would be given tasks sometimes that was pretty tough. They would give it to us young green guys and they, they didn't care. They didn't care one bit. They didn't lose any sleep over it. And when it would get really tough and it would be one of those 98 degree 150% humidity days where it hadn't rained in 30 days, I think it just emboldened them any, even more. And so we would be struggling to get through our task and when it looked like we were about to give in, one of them would look over at us and said, now boy, don't let that whoop you. Don't, 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 let, that, don't let that bag of concrete whoop you. Don't let that, let that stack of tuba twelves whoop you. You're going to let wood, you're going to let those timbers whoop you? I mean, come on, you're young and got a flat stomach. You're going to let that whoop you? And so, as I became uh, a father and had a son and a daughter, both athletic, both played just about every sport out there. It would be hot days. It would be days that, you know, you couldn't catch a cold. It was like everything bounced. You know, it was just uh, a little degree here, a little degree there. I mean, left, right. Everything bounced off. Couldn't swing, get in what they called a slump. I said, don't let it whoop you now. Don't let it whoop you. And it, it kind of light a fire. But you know what? In today's society, we've let everything whoop us. They quit school, quit college, quit jobs, quit marriages, quit everything. And we just say, well, I don't like church. I don't like this. I'll just quit. I'll go somewhere else. I'll quit a marriage. Uh, uh, he's not doing what I think he should do. I'll just quit and find someone else. I, I, I will quit on, on, on my jobs. I, let someone else do it. Why do I have to do it? We live in a, a day where no one's resolved hardly about anything. Where they're willing to finish the game. I read some stuff about uh, a football team yesterday about how the program was supposed to have a whole new climate. And this was a college level team and how everything was supposed to change. And, and, and now there, there's such a mentality of quitting and such a mentality that it's all about the one player, whether he does something or not. And, he, and, and he's up celebrating that he made a tackle even though they picked up eight yards on first down. You know, the guy is celebrating knocking a pass down, though they're losing by five touchdowns. They missed the point. They're not resolved to, to pull together. 
In Acts chapter 21, I think Paul understood in the, in the fullest depth of what Philip just sang about. He wrote it under inspiration of the Spirit there in Philippians, but he gives us a life example in Acts 21. And he basically says, I am resolved. What does that mean, to be resolved? It means to firmly be determined to do something. Now, it does not mean that we do it out of our own strength. I want to go ahead and put that right up front, that there's no how, no way, anything that I speak about today should be drawn that if we just work harder, if we just go to church more, if we just give more, we will somehow attain to God's glory. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being resolved to stay where God wants us to stay even when it means losing in what we think is life. To finish. You know, there's nothing that impresses me more than to see someone get on the mound of a baseball game that is so lopsided there's no possible way they could ever come back. To see a defense or an offense come on to the field in the fourth quarter in the games like we saw yesterday where the big power five teams plays the little bitty uh, teams and it's 55 to nothing, it's 66 to 12, it's 73 to 3, those kind of games. Listen, all of us in life, there's going to be times where the 73, there's going to be times where we're the 3. And the 73 is not where we build integrity. It's not where we see God working in our life. It's in the days where we just manage to scrape through and kick a field goal. Against the world's third string. Those are the days, those players that come out there and they're still giving it their all are resolved to do what they suited up to do. To finish strong. The writer of the hymn, I Am Resolved, was one of those kind of cats. Now there's two men. He, there's one that wrote it and he went to work at this Music school, he, he was a traveling uh, music school teacher uh, who wrote the lyrics. And then the man, Fillmore, who owned the, the school and his family owned this music company, he wrote the music to it. Now, you was talking about an old song, 34 years old. This song was written in the late 1800s. And this was in a day where the life expectancy of an average male in America was 47 years old. And the gentleman who wrote, I am resolved, lived to be 90. Now, I don't know whether it had anything to do with it, but he never got married. <laughs> but he lived a long life. His first verse says, I am resolved no longer to linger. My daddy, that was one of his favorite words. He could not stand... Being late. My dad was an army man. And he wasn't a retired army man. It didn't take him but three years to understand how to get squared away. Right, coach? You get squared away. Your, your foot locker's right. Your bed is made up right. Your shoes are polished right. To this day, my dad, if he lives to be 
uh, to the last day of September, he'll be 85 years old. And still to this day, you can open the drawers and his belts are wound up like cold serpents ready to jump out and bite you where it hurts. It still scares me to see those belts. There is a reverential fear. But dad still does things like he did when I was six years old. Dad squared away. My dad, he doesn't work anymore except for what mom tells him to do. And uh, he, he finally retired from cutting hair at 77 years old. And we had built the barbershop in his house. And so dad would get up and literally walk out of the kitchen through the carport or the garage into the door into his barbershop, full barbershop. Do you know what? My dad would lay his clothes out the night before. And I said, Dad, you work at home. He said, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Might get a call. Might, I want to be ready. My dad was resolved. My dad's still resolved to do what God wants. What an example to me. When I drop the ball, when I'm just tired, when I don't want to push through. Man, when that, that sack of concrete gets heavy on my shoulder. When it's tough being a mom or being a dad. When it's tough being a boss or being an employee. When it's tough being a staff member or being a music leader. When it's tough being a pastor or a deacon. The Apostle Paul teaches us that we should be resolved. No longer to linger. My dad always said, son, don't linger. Don't linger. On, don't, don't put that off. Don't linger. And now... When I leave yesterday, I tell my kids, I said, don't linger on that schoolwork. I said, is Aubrey here? Who said that? Don't linger, don't let it, and then you wait till the last minute and it jumps up and bites you. The writer said, I am resolved no longer to linger. Listen to this. Charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. Listen today as we look at Acts chapter 21. Start in verse 10. Now, Paul is finally on his way to Jerusalem. He's been wanting to go for a long time. The Spirit has stopped him. He has went through trials and tribulations that's beyond anything you and I could ever imagine. Yet his heart still yearns for his family to know Jesus. His people to know Jesus. And so it says in chapter 21 verse 10, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. When he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, that's a a leather type strap that you would, you would hook the other gar articles of garment. You know, when you read about the armor of God, it speaks of that girdle that all the other armor hangs upon. It is the foundation. It said that He took this girdle and He said, He bound His own hands and His feet, this, this man Agabus did, and he said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle 
and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard these things, both we and they of that place begged him, pleaded, besought Paul that he would not go up to Jerusalem. Yet Paul answered, Why are you crying and throwing a fit? Why must you weep and break my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am resolved. Listen to me, daddies. Are you resolved to be the man God's called you to be? Listen, mothers, hear me. You can teach your kids to be the, the smartest in the things of this world. They can, they can win every award academically. They can win every pageant. They can win every state championship in sports. But if you've not taught them the love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and the fullness and the richness of Jesus Christ, our Lord, you have failed. You failed. You want to be the greatest parent in the world? Then show them that they're not your whole heart. Jesus is number one in your heart. And I can tell you for a fact, your kids will love you even more when they see that you love Jesus with a love that the world cannot challenge. That the world's height and depth and breadth, all the sight of the things in this world cannot allure you away from who Jesus really is. Listen, here's what we need to understand. We're resolved when the way gets rough. It's not always going to be fun, is it? Y'all, I mean, is every day, you know, like a, a, a celebration? Y'all ever have hard days? I mean, we had a great weekend. Man, we had a great weekend. We left Thursday afternoon, drove up to Cleveland, got to hang out uh, with our kids for about an hour and a half Thursday night, all their friends out, and they're riding bikes and throwing footballs in the dark and all that kind of stuff. And I was resolved not to let my ego overload my 54, 55-year-old 54, body. And so I stood and watched and cheered them on. Then got up early Friday morning and me and a bunch of the boys, we played in the golf tournament there for Truid and uh, my daughter's hitting drives and stuff for the, for the different teams coming through and, and, and then we finished, we went out and had supper all together and, and then yesterday we spent all day together going and playing top golf and going out to eat at the Cheesecake Factory and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a miraculous, wonderful Wonderful, tiring weekend. But it wasn't rough. It is hard on an old man's body, but it wasn't rough. You hear what I'm saying? Some of you had a rough week. I've talked to some of you. Some of you had a rough week. And there are days that we always say, Mama told me there'd be days like this. When life gets rough, well, I want you to notice, how do we deal with it? The problem is, 
We are reactive rather than proactive. Look back in verse 5. Look back in verse 5 of chapter 21. And when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with their wives and children till we were out of the city. And what did it say? We knelt down on the shore and prayed. Before he ever heard the prophecy about being bound, before he ever heard all that, they were praying together. As family. No doubt these wives and children and husbands, they were praying together. If you'll remember back a few chapters when they first ordained the Apostle Paul and Barnabas to go out as missionaries, before they ever fasted and prayed with them, they fasted and prayed for them. Church, we want to turn the world upside down. Then we can't expect lost men to do the work of believers. We have been called to be God's witnesses. God has called us to be His mouthpiece. God's called us to be salt and light. And we cannot expect presidents and congress and judges and, and, and uh, musicians of every genre of music. We cannot expect Hollywood, even in the good Christian movies, to take the place of every day in the marketplace sharing the love of Jesus. Preparation should be practiced. We got to prepare. Got to prepare. I always look forward to hunting season. When it start getting close, man, I start going through all my hunting stuff. Getting out, first of all, make sure you got the license. You know, that's kind of a big deal. And then you start getting what clothes you needed to wear for 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 the uh, going out, and then uh, you know, making sure your gun's clean, make sure everything's right there, and make sure you got enough shotgun shells or rifle uh, cartridges or whatever you're going to be hunting. And boy, we'd get all that stuff together. I remember fishing tournaments. That when I would start to get ready to see, I, I'd, I'd read every fishing report. I'd see what color they'd say they were biting. I would call fishing guys. I'd go through all this. This is the color. And I'd, I'd make my official, it was like my trip to Mecca on Friday. I'd go to Walmart and the bait shops, and I'd buy up the stuff that they said they were hitting. And I would do all my reports, look at the maps, mark out where I was going to go. And I couldn't hardly sleep that night. I was so excited in my preparation for a tournament. But I've got to ask myself, and I want to ask you, do we ever get that excited on Saturday night about coming to God's house? Now, I'm going to be honest with you, after the choir sang, and through that praise and worship, I'm going to tell you, it was building to the point I didn't think I was going to be able to wait to preach. I was ready. Man, it, it was it's about to jump the bank. I was thinking, whoo, this is getting good right here. And then Philip come in there and just hammered it home. And I said, oh God, thank you that I kept my mouth shut to hear what He just sang to us about, sang to you. We've got to be prepared. We, we must make preparation and we've got to practice it through Bible study, through prayer, through walking together, fellowship, ministry. We must be the church. But then problems cannot be avoided. You ever thought you'd schemed your way out of any kind of problem? You've set up so many safeguards, you know, I can remember when the kids were first born and Big's like, we got a we got a child proof the cabinets and all this stuff, you know. So she goes out and buys all them little latches where you open the, the door just a little bit and then you have to mash it down. 
the screws are so small, they cannot make a screwdriver small enough. And everyone's straight. You're not going to get that to go into Hickory Cabinet. You know, I got like three on, and I threw the rest of them in the yard. I said, we're just going to have to be really good parents. I said, I am 34 years old. I live, me and two brothers, we live where they was stuff that's outlawed now under every sink in the house, which was one. And they was all kind of poison out in the building and my granddaddy's shop. Man, we grew up with all that stuff. Helmets riding a bicycle? Are you kidding me? I grew up when Evil Knievel was living and was in his height of prominence. That's what we did. We jumped bikes till we broke them or broke something. We've got to prepare. My wife said, we gonna, I don't care what you did. We're gonna, at least I got those things put in the plug-in. That, I did. I got that done. But you know, even with that, Kids would get hurt through stuff. They just did. Couldn't avoid it. And it was when you didn't expect it, isn't it? Right? It's when you thought you had everything watched over and I mean you wrapped them in bubble wrap and everything else and then all of a sudden something doesn't happen. Problems cannot be avoided. Look with me in verse 11. He said, that, hey, Paul, this is what's going The man who owns this girl is going to be bound. He said, and he shall be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. Problems cannot be avoided. So we've got to be prepared. When you get to num this number two, always remember number one. Am I prepared? Listen, you don't know what this week is going to hold, do you? I don't. My mother always asked me on Sunday night, what, what you got this week? Just standard stuff? I said, well, standard stuff, you know how it goes, Mom. You don't ever know what standard's going to be each week, but you know, I don't have anything special right now, but we never know what that week may hold. And a lot of times, you know, you think everything's going right, and you have a flat tire. And it's not just a tire. Somehow, a rim gets bent. Somehow something else happens. And something else breaks. And I mean, you just, I, I, I was riding in a, one of those boys' vehicles yesterday, and I was like, dude, what happened to your window? He said, I don't know. I went over to somebody's house, and I come out, and it's cracked. So, you know, I used to not buy that. I used to say, that's the dumbest thing. But you know, things happen. Crazy things happen. Problems cannot be avoided. Paul understood that. He had seen it. When he gave his life to Jesus on the road to Damascus, he would seen a lot of problematic days. But persecutions cannot be prevented. Jesus said, listen to me church, if you think you can live for Jesus and the world not give you a hard time, you're very mistaken. If you stand for Jesus, but that don't mean try to put something on social media to get everybody to feel sorry for you. It means to be quiet, and the Bible says, if you suffer, suffer for righteousness' sake. So that when you lay down at night, 
even though your body and your mind may feel completely beat up and drugged down a gravel road, your spirit cries out, thank you, Father, that you counted me worthy to suffer for your name. That's what the Apostle Paul taught us. Persecutions cannot be prevented. But notice something in verse 12. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Passion must not be diminished. Some of you are on the verge today. Maybe you started coming back. You're like, the Spirit's crying, I need to be serving God. And I love coming to Eastside, but you know, it seems like when I try to serve God, all everything in the world goes wrong. That's not God doing it to you. Satan's trying to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. If you were no threat to Satan, then your life would be peachy king. So count it as a badge of honor. If you feel like the closer you get to God, the more problems you face, then you know you're on the right track. The closer that Jesus got to Calvary, the more they came after Him. The older Paul got, and the more he did for the Lord, the more they whipped Him, the more they stoned Him, the more they judged Him. Peter and James and John and all those other cats. Listen, passion must not be diminished. Young people, just because you go to see you at the pole and you come every Wednesday night and you even come on Wednesday night, which is a very rare thing, doesn't mean you're not going to have a problem. That's prosperity gospel. And all of us, the most mature Christian in this room, I would venture to say, and I can't, I can't put a blanket statement because I don't know everybody, but I would venture to say, if not everybody, it would have to be very close, that no matter how old you are and how mature in the faith you are, there's been a place in your life where it seemed like everything went so wrong, you said, God, why is this happening to me? I'm trying to serve you. That's prosperity gospel. We think if we do, then we will be. And that's not how it works. And we must never try to guard our children. You remember when you first had to turn them loose on a bike? And if they're 14 and you're still holding on to the bike, they're not the one having a problem with a bike, you are. If you run and blame the coach for every single thing, you blame the teacher for every bad grade, when you blame the police for everything that happened to your kid, you blame the government, and you blame the school system, and you blame the church, I'm going to tell you, you're the problem. You are the problem. There are no perfect children. I know you think yours are. I love mine as much as anybody in here. And I can say this unequivocally because I know they'll never watch this. <laughs> They're not perfect. But Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. Do you know why they're not perfect? Because their mom and daddy ain't perfect. We were born into sin just like our parents were born into sin. You were born into sin. Your kids were born into sin. We all are convinced. 
Our children and grandchildren are the prettiest babies ever born. They all look like red rats when they're born. Every single one of them. And we think, oh, look at them. They're so smart. They're already doing... Look, look. Nobody else on earth in the history of mankind has done what my child and my grandchild has done. Dude, come on. Really? I mean, everybody's an Einstein. Everybody is a rocket scientist. Everybody's the next Jimi Hendrix. Everybody is the next Sandra Bully. Everybody is the next great, wonderful... But you know what? Only one in 17,000 high school athletes will even play at any college level sport. And only one in about 350,000 will make it pro. And you know what? After looking at what's going on in pro sports and stuff, especially in pro basketball and pro football, I thank God my kids don't have that talent. I mean, come on. We need to understand we cannot diminish passion and so don't don't try to talk your kids or your family members out don't try to stop them from serving God listen men stop letting your wife be the leader in your home and discouraging her when she goes off to church goes to prayer meeting and you think well you're the man you got to do this you're too important for all that I'm going to tell you you're the one who needs it the most God's going to hold you more accountable than your wife get on your face and pray with them Pray for them. Pray about them. Come and lead them by example. Do not diminish passion in these young people. I love these children. Man, I'm telling you, I stopped, waved at all of them. They waved back at me this morning. I told one of them, I told Andrew's little boy, I said, hey, ain't right. I'm going to come back and wear you out. He went, ha, 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 pull his shirt up. <laughs> He's really scared of me. I am thankful that these kids love me that much. I scared my preacher. If he had told me that, I was convinced he would. I'm just telling you the truth. Y'all grow up with pastors love? They were seven foot tall, weighed 300 pounds, and their belt looked like it was about that big, and they probably had the fastest bat speed ever recorded on the face of the earth. If they would have swung a belt at you, it would have started the butterfly effect and a hurricane would have come. They were just, they were men above men. And we walked in, in not just reverential fear, I can promise you one thing, we didn't ever call them by their first name or say yeah and huh. And if I've ever offended any of you parents because I corrected your child and made them say sir or ma'am to me, I'm not sorry. I've earned that. Not because of who I am, but because of what position I hold. We ought to teach them. If you let them say yeah and huh, don't be surprised when you get on them and they don't want to hear nothing you've got to say. Don't diminish their passion. But then, listen to the next two verses of the song. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one. He is the just one. Yes, the words of life. I am resolved 
to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still, I will enter in. I want you to under, you remember back last week, chapter 19, the last point, I'm sure all of you just very quickly remembered that. Leaves such a lasting impression. But the last point spoke of the personal cost, the personal cost to fulfill the Great Commission or to fill the Lord's command. It said that we would call it would cost us our reputation, it would cost us our friends, it would cost us sometimes our family. But number one, and without equivocation, it will cost us our will. What we want, what we think our future should be, how our plans should be, it's going to cost us that. And so I want you to look at verse 13. So they've already heard the prophecy. Paul said, hey, don't sweat it. And he answered and said, what what mean you to weep and to break my heart? I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, don't go breaking my heart. (laughs) Somebody got it. Paul said, don't go breaking my heart. And they couldn't respond back. I wouldn't if I tried. Paul said, I am ready, I'm willing, and I'm able. Don't, don't break my heart. Hey, listen, he hurt because they hurt. He said, don't do this. This is what God's called me to do. This is who I am. Man, I'm faithful. I've met Jesus. He, hey, he's a friend of mine. I went through all the law and tried to keep all the law. I met the one who did it. And he died to set me free. I am ready. I'm willing and I'm able. Look, first of all, in that readiness... It's being equipped. Paul said, I am equipped. Why? Because Jesus had made him ready. Not because he had did all the, signed his will, went and, you know, got a power of attorney. Listen, my wife's at home sick, you know, pray for her, uh, and she won't watch it either. But uh, don't, don't tell her I said this. Because it is really good advice to do all that stuff, especially in a certain time of life. But sometimes people die without wheels. And I can assure you the person that died, it don't bother them. But, I mean, we need to set our business in order. But Paul didn't have a family. He didn't have a wife, didn't have kids. No doubt his parents were already gone. Listen, Paul said, I am ready. Jesus has made me ready. Being equipped. I have been at the deathbed of I don't know how many hundreds of saints through 30-something years of ministry. Not just going to the funeral home. I'm talking about been there when they went out of this world. The first time I was ever ever really with someone wasn't even a family member. Matter of fact, I had not even known him more than three minutes before he died. In the middle of the deer woods. He had a heart attack and died right there in front of me. I heard him take his last breath went out and met God. And I've seen hundreds where it would be, 
you know, a few weeks and it'd be a hospice. And I've been with some of you with loved ones and I have sat beside the bed and I've sat and laughed and talked and I've been so encouraged by the dear saints of God as they prepare to go see their Savior. And you know what? I've heard regret and I've heard resolve. I've heard that regret. And you know what? I have never, ever, ever heard someone say, you know what, I wish I'd have worked more. Oh, if I'd have just made more money. If I would have only taken more vacations and, and, and seen more... Listen, what they say is, oh, I wish I would have won more people to Jesus. I wish I would have hugged my kids more. I wish I would have taken them to church more. I wish. Oh, I regret that I did not spend more time in prayer. I believe that God can change the world and He would have used me more if I would have been willing. That's my regret. But my resolve is it's under the blood of Jesus and I'm going to see Him and everything's okay. Not only is it okay, I'm not going to a better place, I'm going to the best place. I get so sick of hearing Christians that don't know enough about the Bible they ought to just shut their mouth. Don't go to a funeral home and tell people, oh, they're in a better place. Number one, if they're lost, they're in the worst place. If they're saved, they're in the best place. But there's not just a better. There's not an earth number two. There's not a door number two. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And that is biblical fact. And we needed to be telling people that Jesus died to set them free. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Church, Paul said, I am ready because Jesus made me ready. I didn't get myself ready by doing certain works. I didn't go through a certain order of rites. I didn't go down a checklist that the church handed me. I didn't say a certain prayer a certain way. I didn't sign a card. I repented of my sin as the Spirit drew me. And I did not love Him first. He loved me. And He drew me and gave me the faith to believe in Him. And I confessed my sin and pled for forgiveness. And Jesus saved me. That's how we're equipped. And then the Spirit equips us to every good work. That's what the Bible says. God's called you to it. He'll guide you through it. Problem is, we're not living close enough to the Lord. We got saved and then we just do whatever we want. Number one, you're either not saved or you're so far out of the will of God, God speaking to you would scare you slammed to death. Truth is, we need to pause to that equipping, ready part, listen, and let the Spirit Tell us what we're supposed to do. Tell us what our giftedness is. And then the expectancy. We ought to be expected. That means His will overwhelms us. We expect God to do a work in our life. And that's whether a cross or a crown. Now some people are elevated in prominence and God uses them to draw people to Him through that. Everybody can't be a Tim Tebow. Y'all hear me? Everybody can't be a Tim Tebow. I mean, the whole world just keeps sitting there waiting on him to mess up. And every day he don't, I like to laugh at ESPN. And every day I laugh when Denver Broncos loses another game. And every day I laugh 
if the Colts lose when they know good and well, not only should they have got him, he'd have sold more jerseys than Andrew Luck ever did. People love Tim Tebow. It's the Chick-fil-A effect. The more the world hammers on them, the more chicken they sell because God's honored in their worldview. And I tell you that because it's my pleasure. Somebody got it. Listen, expect it. His will overwhelms ours. Oh man, isn't it so freeing when you stop worrying about yourself and you just let God handle it? Encouraged. Listen, be encouraged. Paul, Paul said, hey, you know, they're all, oh, Paul, I keep on. He said, no, 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 don't, don't make me weep. Why? Don't, don't break my heart. This is good. Everything's good. Everything's good. You ever walked in, you know, and you're worried about what it was going to be like when you walked into the nursing home or walked into the hospice and you walked in, it's like a party. And you're the only sad one there. And they're the one dying. Truth is, the one that just walked in with your name is dying too. They just realize it. And when you realize your own mortality, and you realize one day you're going that way too, and you're satisfied, you're right where God wants, so if it, you meet Him today, well then you'll be encouraged. His Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit enables us. He comforts us. Control, look, look with me real quick at Romans 8. Everybody can quote 8.28. What about 26 and 27? This is not about everything working together so we have all the money, we have all the prestige and all the lights work and the batteries never go out on the, on the speakers and every, all, everything's always adjusted and the lights burn just right. and You know, everything's just right in a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about when we have heavy hearts and things are not working the best. Any of you have problems? Any of you carrying burdens? Listen to this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray as we ought to. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And where does the Holy Spirit carry our petitions even though we didn't utter them? He just knows what we need. He carries them to Jesus. And he that searched the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Jesus, because He makes intercession. Jesus is the intercessor. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So you've got the Holy Spirit indwelling you, making groanings for you because you don't even know how to pray, and He's carrying it to the Son who died for you and making intercession to the Father, and He carries it to the Father. You've got the triune God taking care of you. And so what did Paul tell the church at Rome based on those two verses? I'm glad you asked. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Aren't you glad? That's our God. The God who never changes. That even though everything changes, it stays the same in the sense that Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what He says. Do what He wills. He is the living way. In verse 14, in conclusion, 
He says this, and when he would not be persuaded, when they couldn't beg him out of doing what God wanted, when he was so resolved to do what God had called him to do, we stopped, we ceased, and we said, the will of the Lord be done. Man, it jumped the banks then. Can you imagine if everybody at Eastside in unison said, Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Can you imagine the lives that would be changed? The families that would be saved? The individuals who would be born again? Can you imagine the new Sunday school units we would have to start? And the chairs we would have to get out? I'm telling you, listen, stop fighting God's will for your life. Stop fighting it. God has a plan for your life. And many of you come and say, how do you know when God's talking to you? Can I tell you what I hear when you ask me that? What I hear is God's talking to you and you know it. You just want to try to somehow clarify it or deny it. If someone comes to me and says, Pastor, how do you know when God's talking to you? You know it. Because He's not the author of confusion. He doesn't dangle a carrot in front of our nose and try to get us. He tells, the Bible tells us that He knows our voice and we'll know His. Is that right? But that's if we have ears to hear. Stop fighting. What did he tell Paul when he was Saul? On that road to Damascus. He said, why do you keep beating your head against the wall? Why do you kick against the pricks? What, what, why do you keep trying to go against that which you say you're for? I am Jesus. He said, you got a good point. And he trusted Jesus. Stop fighting. Stop hindering God's plan for others. Get out of the way. Listen, now if you're not going to run the race with endurance and serve and be part of that hall of faith, that, that race for God and serving Him, then get out of the way. Stop hindering. If you're harsh, then don't say anything. If you're negative, just be quiet. Be a cheerleader for the body of Christ. Be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen, may we be like them. And join together in unison. May we all say together, Lord, let thy will be done. Listen, as they come to the instruments. Can you say that in your life? Can you say that in your life? Lord, let your will be done in my life. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Listen, it is so imperative that you're able to give an answer to Him, not to me. But I'm fixing to walk down right here. And when I do, I, I'm not Jesus. I never claim to be. I can't even. I'm going to heaven because of Him. Not because of my mom and daddy. Not because of my pastor. Not because of this church. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me. And through repentance and confession of sin, Jesus saved me. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, i got wonderful news. It's the day of salvation. It's time you start walking with the Lord. It's time that you serve Him with gladness. It's time... That you step out in believer's baptism, professing Jesus has saved you. To join in this church. To be faithful 
to the call on your life in ministry or whatever else it is. Listen. I am and who will go with me comes without delay taught by the Bible led by the Spirit will walk the heavenly way come with me stand I will Jesus, come, come, come without delay. What is holding you back? Is it pride? Is it what you think someone else may think of you? I'm telling you, they're fighting it themselves. Just surrender to God's call in your life. You may be that one linchpin that just breaks through revival in this church. Don't hinder, help the body of Christ today. As we sing, whatever y'all want to sing, I'm good. Be resolved to be faithful today. Leave saying, I, I did everything God wanted me to do. Come, come to Jesus.